0: We were cleaning it out and we found some maps we found a 1950 Rand McNally map maybe that's the one she was traveling using trying to get to Stephenville we found a 1970 street atlas we found um in in our car I I was just kind of compiling all this we found a Hannah Washburn topographical Crayola map you want to follow that one she was drawing one time wanted to draw a map and I don't want to follow that one anywhere um and then we found a 2005 uh, Atlas of the United States. Now, if you were going to take a trip, which one of those things, which one of those maps would you have chosen? 2005. Why Why do we keep doing new maps? Because they change. I mean, you're crazy. I, I, I don't know how many times I've printed out a Google map and, and it's wrong. I'll follow it because I'm a good map follower. How many are good map followers? You got a map you can get anywhere. How many of you are good map folders? You can get it back in the original. That's why we have books now, because most people in our society are not good map folders. So we put it in a book form. Problem is, you've got to know your alphabet to figure out where Texas is, you know, if you're looking over here in the A's. Anyway, so you want the latest map because things change, right? Well, the Bible is God's roadmap for you. And the cool thing about God's roadmap is it never changes. You know why it never changes? Stays the same. There you go. That's that's kind of a cyclical definition there. Circlical. But it never changes because God gave us His Word once for all. He's not adding to His Word because human beings are no different today than they were back when God was having the Bible written. 40 different authors over 1,500 different years, yet the one message is if you'll follow God's plan for your life, you'll end up where God wants you to go. You won't have all of these issues that people have. But most people do not follow God's Word. And, and this roadmap is the best-selling roadmap of all times, and it will never change. Now, I want you to see a verse from Scripture, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things. Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. Here's a promise from God's Word. I have good plans for you. Now, I want you to notice there's three U's in this verse. and And you have it on your listening guide. And so I want you to take the pen that you were so conveniently given, and I want you to write your name wherever it says you. So let's put that in there. Let's put my name in. I have good plans for Doug. You write your name there. Not plans to hurt Doug. I will give Doug hope and a good future. Now, I want you to circle good plans for you. We want to make this intensely personal today. I want you to realize God's word, God's roadmap is for you. And if you want to be here one year from today and have different results than what you had in 2008 if you want to live a life of no regrets you're going to have to do things god's way now if you are one of those people who said my life turned out exactly like i planned it couldn't have been any better there were no bumps in the road then you just discount this in fact take the whole month of january off because we're going to be talking to folks who have regrets so you just come back in february we'll start a new series then but if you're one of those people who said, I made some choices last year that I regret. I made some choices five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago that I, re- that I regret. Then today and this whole month of January is for you. So if we're going to have a life of no regrets in, in 2009, we've got to make three critical choices. Critical choices. First one is this. I got to choose to go with God. Now I'm going to illustrate this, this way and I hope you can see it. We're going to have to get bigger, uh, illustrations as we as we get bigger now I want you to kind of follow along and I want you to draw this somewhere on your listening guide all right we leave enough space there so that that you can doodle and some of you do and some of you turn in your registration cards and you have all kinds of things and you write notes to your person and then you scratch them out thinking I can't read them I can um, <clears throat> but I want you to draw this on, on your listening guide you're going to keep your listening guide so if you do weird doodles I will I'll never know all right here's your birthday The X represents the birth. I don't even know when I was born. putting the wrong date, 1964, that's when I was born. So you put an X down there and put the year that you were born. Now, somewhere, we're going to do kind of a timeline here, somewhere in your life, you've at least had the opportunity to come to Christ. Some of you are Christ followers. Some of you not yet, and that's okay. Keep coming. We believe you will be. But at some point, you've had an opportunity to follow Christ. Now, for me, we're going to put a cross right there. That was 1970. I was about to put that over here. 1970 is when I had the opportunity to follow Christ and I gave my heart to Christ. As a six-year-old, I didn't have a whole lot of regrets. There wasn't a lot of wine and women and drug use when I was six. I didn't have to repent of all of that stuff. But I understood that I was a sinner and that I was bound for a place called hell if I didn't give my life to Christ. So all salvation is, all coming to Christ is, is giving everything that you know of yourself to everything that you know of God. I did that when I was six. Now, I wasn't a preacher when I was six, didn't even try to be, wasn't a preacher when I was 19 or even 29. All those things came later as I began to follow Christ. Now, here's the cool thing. You have a choice to follow Christ, and if you do, then God takes you along a trajectory and he has all of this really cool stuff. So I'm going to put a bunch of plus signs up here. Plus signs are the blessings that God has in store for you as you follow his plan for your life. But I don't ever want you to think that, that following Christ means everything's going to go good because it doesn't. There's stuff that happens to Christ followers. So I'm going to put some minus signs down here. And if you draw a smiley face... Okay, sorry, I just... Some of you have ADD and I try to keep up with you. Now, there's, there's also negative things that happen to Christ followers. But here's the thing. God has blessings for you. He, have these, he has these things that seem to be problems, that seem to be negatives, that God intends to turn into positives in your life. If you go God's way. The promise of Scripture is I have good plans. I have a good road map for you if you'll follow me. Now, it doesn't say that everything that happens to you will be good. And one of my favorite examples of this is Joseph from the Scriptures. Joseph was one of 12 sons... And he was his daddy's favorite. Now, if you want to read it, go back in Genesis 37. If you want to hear a soap opera that not even Hollywood can come up with, then read about Joseph's life. In my Bible that I have next to my chair, it says the history of Joseph. And it is quite a history. Lots of regrets. Lots of pain. Now, for Joseph, he was the favorite of 12 sons. That would seem to be a blessing. But the other 11 hated him. That would seem to be a negative. His father gave him a special coat. That would seem to be a positive. He gets sold into slavery and his, his coat is stolen from him. That would seem to be a negative. Being sold into slavery would seem to be a negative. He goes down to Egypt and eventually he gets, uh, bought by Potiphar. Potiphar brings him in and, and makes him the head of his household. Potiphar is one of the, the leaders in, in Egypt. That would seem to be a positive. But Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. That's not a positive. Okay, some of you were wondering where that one was going. That's not a positive. That was a negative. Joseph resists her. That's a positive. And the Bible says that he resists her every day. Daily advances. She's grabbing him saying, lie with me, Joseph. And he goes, no way. No. And one day she grabs his his clothes and and grabs his, his shirt. And he's so adamant to get away from her, he runs away and leaves all of his clothes behind. That would be a negative as you're running outside the house naked of someone that you have not done anything with. She was jilted and you know what she did? She told her husband that this, this Jew, this Hebrew that you brought into my life, he assaulted me. Did he assault her? No. But he's thrown into prison. That would be a negative or so it would seem. Now, if you go through Joseph's life, he becomes the favorite in, in prison because God is with him. He's done nothing wrong. He's in prison and the Bible keeps saying, but God is with him. In prison, he becomes the favorite of the jailer. He, he gets to do all of this extra stuff. In prison, he, he interprets two dreams. One for the baker to, to Pharaoh and one for the cupbearer. The baker, he, that was an important job. He had to make Pharaoh happy. The cupbearer, that was an even more important job because he would, he would test the, whatever the Pharaoh was going to drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That's a pretty important job. So in, in jail, he interprets the dreams of these people. And he says, remember me. Because interpreting dreams, that would be a positive. They forget him. That would be a negative. Eventually, Pharaoh has this dream and nobody can interpret it. Guess who comes on the scene? Joseph. Well, yeah, the baker. And he tells him about Joseph. Oh, I was supposed to remember this guy, but I forgot. So here he is. That would be a positive. He becomes the second in command in Egypt. That would be a positive. And then there's this famine that goes across the land because of God's wisdom and God being with Joseph. He provides not only for Egypt, but for the whole world. He had enough stuff stored aside. Everybody else was dying from famines. And so guess who has to come buy food from Joseph? His brothers that sold him into slavery. That would seem to be a positive. Oh, yeah, I'm the second in command. Joseph had the perfect opportunity to waste his brothers to kill them. Nobody would have batted an eye. That's what you should do, they would say. But Joseph, by this time, has a totally different perspective about his life. And and if you look at this verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he's speaking to the brothers who have betrayed him. And he says, you intended to harm me. Now, honestly, I don't believe Joseph would have said this years before. I don't think he would have said this had he not been sold into slavery, had he not gone into prison for a crime he didn't commit, had he not gone through years and years of disappointment, I don't believe he would have said this, but he had a new perspective. And look what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Here's the thing. You're going to go through experiences if you're a Christ follower. You're going to have good stuff. You're going to have bad stuff. But the promise of God is that he'll take even the bad things. Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good. For who? Those who are on his path. And he'll make you look more like Christ. Christ. And when you follow God's path, you come up here, you get God's plan. There's all kinds of benefits from following God's plan. You have peace, you have purpose, and you leave this incredible legacy to your family and to those who know you. That's some good stuff from following God's way. And God has this plan for you, He's always preparing you for what He has next. For you to do, there's always an assignment and God has this plan that he takes you through all of this stuff. So he has prepared for you what's coming up. Now, your designer wants you to succeed in life, but he's not going to take you through all smooth ways. But there's a catch. If you're going to get up here to God's plan, God's peace, God's purpose and the legacy for your family and those who know you, there's a catch. You know what that catch is? You have to choose to follow God's plan. You can't ignore God's plan and get the blessings of God. Never violate God's word and expect the blessing of God. does not work that way. And Jesus says when you choose to get on this path, it's narrow. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 7. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. What does it say? The gate to where? Destruction. Would you agree that the crowds follow the crowds to destruction? I mean, that happens a lot. Lots of folks have gone down this road. Now, when you choose to go your own way, there's another trajectory here. This way. This is your way. And and there's going to be positives. There's going to be negatives that happen down here. But if Jesus is telling us the truth, what happens is this leads to destruction. By the way, if I ever spell a word wrong, y'all go ahead and tell me. I did, last time I did this, I spelled the word wrong and everybody's laughing about my stuff and they don't tell me till afterwards. And, and then James, he, he's kind enough to come up and correct it afterwards. And they show me, I corrected it, you know, so just tell me if I, if I spell it wrong. Okay. So this leads to destruction. Now, this leads to emptiness. It leads to loneliness. And it also leads to a legacy that you leave to your children and those who know you. Now, the thing is, if you come this way, you have no promise of God that He's going to do anything to, to redeem your life. You come this way, God says, you're on your own. Not only do you miss these blessings that God has for you, but you suffer some things that God never intended for you to endure. Here's the cool thing about God. Wherever you are, let's put this down right here. This is 2009. Wherever you are, whether you followed your way or whether you followed God's way, He offers you an opportunity to get back up here. And see, you don't clean yourself up. There's no way that you say, oh, I'm going to get over here and I'm going to start doing things God's way. And then, then I'm going to get... You don't do that. You come right as you are and God says, I will supernaturally bring you back to my path. Now, He is not going to restore all of these things that He was would have given you had you... Chosen to follow Him sooner. He's not going to restore them. He's not going to wipe out the negative consequences from your life. That's what we learn in the Bible. You read the Bible. God doesn't wipe out the consequences. But God says, if you'll give your life to Me, I'll make even your biggest mistake, the thing you are most ashamed of, I'll make that an opportunity for you to reach someone else for Christ. God will give you, you could have the worst past, and God says, I'll take that past, I'll clean it up, and I'll give you an opportunity to lead someone else with the same past to Christ. Now, that's really cool. And I don't know any other religion or any other way of life that offers those types of things. So you have a choice that you've got to make. Now, I want you to think about people you know who've gone the wrong path. Could be you. Could be somebody you know. And I want to give you one of the most classic examples from the Scriptures, and it's the woman at the well. John 4, 6 through 9. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now, I'm not going to get into all of the cultural things. Just realize that a Jew talking to a Samaritan was major no-no in those days. So she's coming at noon at a time when people don't normally come for water because she doesn't want to encounter anyone. Jesus knew this was a divine appointment. He's sitting there. Jesus wants to break the ice. You know what the most natural icebreaker is? If you're sitting at a well and you're thirsty, hey, mind giving me a drink? She's freaked out by that. And Jesus, you know, realizes she's freaked out. And then he says, let's just cut to the chase. He says, I have water. I have something to drink that will satisfy your soul. She's pretty interested in that. Hey, I want that. You see, this woman had a drinking problem, not like alcohol. She was drinking from a physical well, and not even the well that Jesus was sitting next to. This woman believed that men could give her life meaning. He says, go get your husband. She says, uh, I don't have a husband. He said, you've spoken well. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now living with is not your husband. You see, this woman thought that a man was the answer to all her problems. Ladies, have you figured out that's a dead end? I know that's right, baby. God has designed you with a God-shaped void in your heart. There's no man, there's no human being that can fill that void. You will be severely disappointed if you try to put a man there. She tried everything and she was on the wrong path and Jesus was offering her the right path to life. And and this woman was far from God, but she realized when she realized that it was God Himself staring her in the face, she gives her life to Him and she radically changes. We know that because the Bible says she runs back into the town to the very people she'd been trying to avoid. The folks who probably whispered when she came around, oh, there she is, can you believe she's with number 6 or number 10 or however many there'd been in her life. She tried to avoid those people, but not after she'd met Jesus. And he gave her the opportunity to come back to his road. Because then she says, come meet a man who knows everything about me. He told me everything. Could this be the Messiah? And the Bible says the whole town came out to meet Jesus. And then there's a pretty cool thing right at the end. It says, uh, we used to believe because of this woman. But now because we've heard you, Jesus, and we've seen, we have believe because we've seen you ourselves. Pretty cool thing what God will do if you'll allow him to. Now... This woman had tried the wrong path. Many of you have tried the wrong path. I've tried the wrong path. I've shared that with you. But let me ask you something. When people have, have tried everything, when they don't know what to do, what what normally happens? There's two ways that people tend to respond when they don't know what to do. First way is they do the same thing again. Right? It's the only thing we know, so let's try it again. Let's hope it changes. That's what the woman at the well did. She desperately wanted love and acceptance, and she thought a man could give her that. So when one man would leave, what would she do? Find you another one. That's the way of the world. A lot of people do the same thing. We just try harder to make a relationship work, or we try to succeed in our careers or break a harmful or useless habit. Whether it's dieting or relationships, I laugh because, you know, I've tried diets. They don't work for me. Um, is trying harder usually the answer? If I'll just try harder, I can be more forgiving. If I'll just try harder, my mouth won't be so filthy. If I just try harder, I can give up cigarettes or drugs or sex. Is trying harder the answer? No, it doesn't work. Hoping things will turn out differently. In fact, in, in Celebrate Recovery, we say that when you try the same thing over and over again and you expect different results, that's one form of insanity. You know the other thing that people do when they've tried over and over and over again, they keep getting the same results, you know what they do? They stop trying. They just quit altogether. You've heard people say, oh, this marriage will never work. You've heard people say, I can never lose weight. You've heard people say, I can never get the job I want. I can never, I can never. The result of going our own way is going to be futile. We're going to end in destruction is what Jesus says. And people that are here, they have this, this gnawing sense of regret that it could have been better, but I don't know what to do. The really cool thing, though, is that in God's economy, getting to the end of yourself is the beginning of Him helping you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. You see, when you're full of yourself, there's not room for anybody else. When you're empty, then God says, you're right where I want you. I can fill you and do some amazing things through you. Matthew 6.33, Jesus again says, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. In other words, choose God first. Make him your first priority. Then he'll take care of all of the other stuff. The best roadmap ever created for life is useless if you refuse to open it and follow its advice. So the first thing you got to do is you got to choose to go with God. A second critical choice that you've got to make is you've got to choose carefully who's going with you. There's a book I read several years ago called Good to Great, and it studied all of these companies like Walmart and Southwest Airlines and, and Office Depot, all these different companies. And they studied the companies that, that were kind of mediocre, but they went to great and they stayed great for a long time. And you know what they discovered every time? The companies that stayed great over a long period of time, and I'm talking 15, 20 years, you had to be great, which means exceed all of your competitors for that long. You know, the the teams that were great consistently, you know what they had more than the others? Better team. And you know, they always talk about the the best team usually wins, doesn't always win, but over a course of a season or over a course of several seasons, the best teams usually win consistently. What does that tell you about the Dallas Cowboys? Cowboys? Ah, uh, I, I, don't shoot the messenger. Bad teams usually don't win consistently. Now, have you ever heard someone say, what I'd really like to do, my goal in life, my New Year's resolution for 2009 is to be on a team of losers. I mean, surround me with the, the most losing people in the world. I want to be enshrined in the hall of fame of losers. The hall of shame, we'll call it. Anybody ever say that? How many people want to play for Detroit? They're 0-16. First team in NFL, 0-16. Anybody want to go play there? No, you want to go play where people win. Well, we need help to, to succeed because God didn't design us to be in isolation. Now, you can go on God's path and you and God equals a majority. You can do that. But God designed us to be around other people who are also going on God's path because see if you're the only one in your crowd that's following god that's tough that's very difficult to walk that way it can be done but if your crowd is all down here how long do you think you're going to stay on god's path if everybody you know is following the path to destruction how long is it, how long are you going to stay up there on god's path not very long because they're going to pull you down Now there's a couple of problems here that we need to address in choosing carefully who goes with us. First, there's an absence of good teammates on our team. I've gone mountain climbing before. I've gone mountain climbing with Nathan Gillis before. Ask Nathan about our first mountain climbing. This was this was years ago. Was it a positive experience, Nathan? He he won't say it out loud. He whined and complained the whole way up the mountain. Now, in his defense, this you were what? Third, fourth grade? Yeah, okay. So he was he was fifth or sixth grade, and we had all college students, and we were going up a mountain, and uh in his defense, his father made him go. That was some of the most encouraging dialogue I've ever heard from father to son. Um, going up the mountain. But here's the deal. What? I know that's right, yeah. Now, there was a guy that was with me, and he was kind of overweight, and, and this was the bad thing. We didn't stay together as a team. We didn't encourage. It's like the people who were in better shape, they're gone. They don't care. They leave us without water, you know, all of that stuff. But there was this guy that was really struggling, and so I stayed with him, and man, it took us forever to get up the mountain. But I kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. We got to the top, and he thanked me for that. But then later in the trip, he said, he said dude, you're the only one who didn't give up on me. And I was like, I wish I could say it was because I was spiritual. It's because I was the leader of the group. And, you know, if he goes home and tells his parents, even Doug abandoned me, then, you know, I might get fired. So it had, hey, there's no spiritual reason whatsoever for me to stay with the guy. But, but we became friends. Here's, the, here's the point. In spite of my, my less than, than stellar motives, um, we became friends because I encouraged him up the mountain. So, Think about this: the absence of good teammates will mess you up, but the presence of not so good teammates will jack you up. Let's talk about a road trip. You want to go on a road trip with people who are annoying? And we just went 500 miles. It's 500 miles from Palestine to my parents, and uh, we praise God for laptops and and uh, iPods and and stuff because you know when I was a kid there was nothing. Right. You were in the back. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. And, and you know, it just drove your parents crazy. Now they're, they're off in their own world. Janie and I have pleasant conversation. It's a it's a great trip. Um, really bonding. Um, but I've been on trips. I was a youth minister for 19 years. Once again, as youth minister, you can't choose. Let's leave the annoying kids at home. You know, when we would stay places, I would always put the worst kids in my room. Again, there was no spiritual reason. It's just like, dude, I, I'm a light sleeper. You will not get out. <laughs> it had nothing to do with spiritual stuff. But after we'd been there a while, I'd always become friends with them. It's the weirdest thing. God, God does stuff even when we have impure motives. I was like, I'm watching you. But you go on a trip with somebody who's not your friend, somebody who has nothing good to see, you're miserable. Some people's lives are miserable because they got the wrong teammates. And some of you are going, it's my family. Well, I know we got jacked up families. Come hang out with me at Christmas. You can't get any more jacked up than my family at Christmas time. Uh, I know we could we could compare and mine's worse than yours. But God designed the church to be a new family your dad is messed up and hadn't been involved in your life, God will provide someone through church, through the bride of Christ, that can fill that void in your heart. Your brothers and sisters are messed up. God will provide brothers and sisters in the new family. And, and the, the relationships we have in, in Christ last beyond the grave. It just seems like that's a no-brainer to me that we need to get rid of the bad. Because think about this. If you have too many people in your life who have no direction, (laughs) if they avoid growth issues in their own lives, how can they possibly help you with issues in your life? Well, the answer is they can't. Now, I think this is really interesting because the wisest man to ever live, you know who he was? He's in the Bible. Somebody tell me, Solomon. Interesting side note, wisest man who ever lived, what pulled him down at the end of his life, Bad teammates. So read that story too. That's, that's kind of a crazy story. But anyway, look what he has. Back when he was wise, look what he had to say. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Pity the man or woman. Who tries to get up, but his or her friends keep pulling him down. Are your traveling companions, are they encouraging you to go this path or this path? Even worse, if you're the traveling companion, are you encouraging people to go this path or this path? You see, we have some choices to make. I'd rather go through life alone than have somebody pulling me down all the time but God provided for us. And you know, the reason we emphasize small groups so much, you can come in here, we can laugh, have a good time, the music's good, maybe the teaching's good, depends on which Sunday you come. Um, We can come in here and have a good time. You can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. And the reason we emphasize small groups, and we'll be cranking them back up here in a couple of weeks, the reason we emphasize them is you will never, I'm telling you this, you will never get where God wants you to be if you try to walk the Christian life alone. You need other people who will love you, encourage you, but also tell you you're stupid sometimes. Stood right here this last week and, and performed Justin and Jenny's wedding ceremony. Woohoo! One of the things I told them was, you gotta have some people who will love you enough that you can come to and talk about your spouse who isn't gonna think bad about your spouse. Justin can tell me anything about Jenny and I'm not gonna think bad about Jenny. But Justin also knows, and he's given me permission to do this because we meet once a week, he and Drew and I. He's given me permission, and he said, Dude, tell me I'm dumb. If I'm dumb, tell me I'm dumb. Don't beat around the bush. I don't need any of that. Just tell me. And so he knows I'm going to say. And I told them in this, I said, You need people you can go to that you can talk to your to, uh, to about your spouse if you're married, who will not judge your spouse. Because what do we do? We tend to get some of these losers and we go tell them about our spouse and what a losers do? They agree. Oh, you shouldn't put up with that. You should do this. You should do this. They're stupid! Why are you going to listen to stupid people who aren't following God? How can they possibly know what you should do? Sorry. I, I deal with a lot of marriage problems. And you know the number one problem? is not money. It's listening to the wrong people talk trash about your spouse. That is not a recipe for success. Okay, where am I? Third critical choice. I'm sorry, I just... I I get fired up when when people try to pull marriages down. Because you want to talk about a legacy that lasts for generations? Don't mess with someone's family. Okay, number three, choose to go with the flow. Now, <laughs> here's, here's what I mean. Following Christ is is a journey. There's all these stops on the journey. The problem is there's a lot of people, and, and you've been in churches, I've been in churches like this. There's a lot of people that believe following Christ is a destination. If I go to church, and by the way, I was in church last week with my parents, if you come to church every Sunday, we do 51 out of the year because we take the last Sunday. That is not hard. I'm sorry. It is not hard. I went to church. I didn't have any responsibilities. Went and sat. My mom wanted me to sing, but she she knew I wanted the Sunday off. And like, I, I just hate singing solos. I hate that. But so I sat next to my dad and my wife and my children. We sat in this church and it is not hard to go to church. I'm sorry. So if you go to church, yay, but you're not there. Okay some people think you go to church that's it that's all god requires no some people think okay if i read my bible every day and and especially if i read numbers and leviticus then i'm super spiritual and i've arrived and some people think oh well no i listen to only christian music yay i love christian music it's my favorite But but your Christian life is a journey, not a destination. Here's what happens. Some people think they're spiritual. And if you ever have to tell someone you're spiritual, you're not. If you ever have to tell someone you're humble, you're not. Okay? So some people, they they get this box, and they've arrived. And I'm spiritual. And they look down on people who aren't as spiritual as them. Oh, you only come once a month? Hmm. You never read your Bible? You don't even have a Bible? Oh, my. And they start defending their territory. And they plant right there. You see, here's here's a, here's just a tip. If you're on a trip and the scenery never changes, you're lost. See, the scenery should change. I shouldn't still be telling you stories about... Because well, sometimes we would ask people to give a testimony and they would go back 70 years. 70 years ago I prayed. What have you been doing since then? And so then, people who think they're spiritual come in and, and, this is my chair. Don't you sit in my chair. Get out. You know, they become possessed. They think this church is their church. They think this chair is their chair. And it doesn't belong to God. They think their life is their life. Nothing you have belongs to you. If if you are a member of New Life, Yay! New life isn't for you. New life is you, if you're a member. New life is for people who are going to hell. Because I don't want anybody to kill. So when you get to thinking that you've arrived spiritually, you got two choices. Get over yourself or get out. Because we don't want you. Because you're going to be a stumbling block from someone else coming to Christ. And we're not going to have it. Choose to go with the flow says, I'm going to have ups and I'm going to have downs in my life. But God has promised that He'll cause everything to work for good. And I had a professor in seminary who used to say, and I took Romans from him. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. And he said, Don't ever quote verse 28 without also quoting verse 29. God causes all things to work together for good. Well, what is the good? Because I've been, I've been in hospitals and I've heard somebody quote that. Well, you know, somebody smashed up. They can't breathe. They're breathing out of a tube. They're eating out of a tube. And they say, well, God causes everything to work together for good. See you later. Bless you. That person's not feeling like it's a blessing. The good, here it is. And this is what I pray for people all the time. This is what allows me to stand next to someone who's just lost a loved one. Or someone whose wife has cheated on them and they don't know what to do. I can say to them, I will pray for you and here's what I'm going to pray. The good, God causes all things to work together for good. The good, He doesn't tell you about until verse 29. And verse 29 says, for those God foreknew. That means before the world was ever created, He knew. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. Here's the good. Good or bad that happens in your life. If you're on God's path, He causes you to look more like Jesus Christ. I can pray that. That's something solid I can pray for you when you're hurting. Because I, I hate funerals. I hate sitting down at my computer to type stuff out. Not because I hate what's on the other side. I'm, I'm not afraid of death. But I see what it does to people who are left here. And it breaks my heart. And so I spend the rest of my life, however long I'm here, telling people how they can move on God's path, how they can have this peace and purpose and legacy. And and God's called called some of you to do the same. And I know the argument. The argument sometimes is, I'm tired of being good. I've been good and God's not providing. And I'm like, okay, stop. First of all, good compared to whom? Hitler? What, what's your scale? Jesus Christ? Ooh, don't go there. We're not that good. But some people will say, I've been good, I've been good, and I'm so tired of being good. When is God ever going to answer? I'm single and I need some. I was watching this morning. I always watch Ed Young Jr. on Sunday mornings and they were talking to people who were single and, and they were saying, uh, you know, how come you're single? And one, one girl said, because nobody will have me. I was like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. And some people are like, oh, I've done everything, God, and God won't bless me. Well, here's the deal. One of the most unique plants in, in our world is the Chinese bamboo tree. I don't know if you've ever heard about this. If you've read any of Rick Warren's books, you've, you've seen a reference to it. The Chinese bamboo tree, you plant this thing. And the first year, you water and fertilize. And they tell you to be very careful to water and fertilize. And nothing happens. Year two, you water and fertilize. Nothing happens. Year three, you water and fertilize. And this is crowd participation. And year four, you water and fertilize. And somewhere in the fifth year, an amazing thing happens. And and according to the Guinness Book of World Records, a a single Chinese bamboo tree can grow as much as three feet in a single 24-hour period. So you've got to nurture this thing for five years and see nothing but a little bitty sprout. And a lot of people would give up. But what's going on underneath the surface is this tree that's about to grow 90 feet in a year (laughs) has to develop this root structure to hold it. Don't tell me that you've been good for five years and God has not done anything for you. Usually when we're talking about good, we mean this weekend. Hadn't done anything stupid since yesterday and God's not provided my spouse. You follow God's plan. Because if you read Joseph's life, it was years he was in slavery before he got to stand in front of his brothers. And he had the opportunity to waste them. But because he was right where God wanted him to be, He caused this incredible growth to happen. Not only did Joseph save Egypt, he saved several nations because he finally had somebody he could use. I want you to take your uh, registration cards, if you would, and fill those out for me. And then on the back, I always ask you to, to write something on the back. I just want you to write which path you've been on. Have you been on God's path or your path? And you say my path. If it's yours, you just put my path. And then I'm going to ask you what you're going to do about it. Because your path in 2009, we can come back here January 3rd. I looked it up. January 3rd, 2010. And we can say, have you lived a life of regret? And everybody's going to say, oh. Because I can honestly tell you that every regret that I've ever Every regret I have came when I was doing my thing and not God's thing. If you'll follow God's way, even though you're going to have some hurts, you'll get to the point where you look at at life the way Joseph did and you'll say, you could be a family member. You meant to harm me, but God meant it for my good. Could be a, a former spouse. You meant to harm me, but I look back and I see God meant it for my good. That takes time. So just write that on the back. And I want you to think about what you're going to do. And if you have regrets, then you keep coming back in uh, January because this series is for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your love and I thank You for Jesus Christ who makes it possible for me to have some really bad choices redeemed and makes it possible for everybody here to do the same. God, it's, it's my prayer that today Somebody will choose to go your way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.